the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of KDOW or its management owners or advertisers and should not be construed as legal tax or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Insightful. Informative. Irreverent. We're ready. 1220 KDOW presents Rob Black and Your Money. Your source for breaking news, market updates, and successful investment strategies for the 21st century. Sounds like a great program. Getting you to retirement in today's market. So let's get on with the show. Taxes, family finance, insurance, the economy, technology, media, and entertainment. Rob is talking about it with you at 800-516-1220. So call in. We'll chat and uh, have some fun. Now to start your day with the latest news and market commentary. Here's Rob Black on the Bay Area's business leader, 1220 KDOW. Welcome in, Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Thanks for listening to the show. Hmm. What do we want to talk about today? If you have any great concepts, any great ideas, drop me an email, rob at robblack.com. It's rob at robblack.com. And uh, we'll go from there. Um... The Federal Reserve has been a big topic of conversation for, I guess, many years is the right way of saying it when it comes to investing. The Federal Reserve is an institution and people run it. And the role that it plays in setting short-term rates and influencing investment philosophies is, is ginormous. The modern Fed has its supporters, but the modern Fed Reserve also has some people that say, we don't. Why are we having them set the, the prices? No federal agency, except for the IRS, is held in lower regard than the Federal Reserve, according to public opinion. The left accuses the Fed of being too cozy with banks. The right says it's planting the seeds of, a mass, of massive inflation. Uh, you don't have to go far to see both sides. You know, Rand Paul, outspoken critic of the Fed, wrote a journal op-ed piece where he calls the master fallacy underlying so much economic commentary is to imagine that a handful of experts in Washington should be setting the price of borrowed money. There's some truth to that. It's a never-ending debate. If you want to borrow money, or let's say your, your Uncle Ronnie wants to borrow money from you, He's a limo driver who often gets a little intoxicated and a little out of hand. He's got a couple DUIs. You're probably going to talk to your spouse, your sugar booger, and say, you know, hey, what do you think about giving Ronnie $40,000 to buy a new limo because he wrecked his last one? And she's probably going to give you hell for it. And she's going to say, you know, no way. And you go, well, I'll charge him 20% interest. And she's like, ooh. That's better than the bank's going to give us. You kind of are able to smooth out your risk by understanding the reward. And you're able to set the prices. You don't have to have the bank do that for you. Banks are willing to do it. Banks are going to look at his driving record, and the banks are going to look at his credit record and say, you know, you're definitely a 15 to 20% risk. Now, they're going to look at Jill, who's never had a DUI, who's got a perfect driving record, no speeding tickets. And they're going to say, we'll loan you that money at 2 to 3%, way lower than what he's getting at. So there's this never-ending debate on the Federal Reserve and their role in sending monetary policy. Some people would call it artificially helping an economy. If you lower interest rates to incredibly low rates, 
then banks can get money at almost nothing, and they're willing to take a little more risk. If they're getting that money at 3%, 4%, to make money, they have to get 7 to 10%, right? But if they're getting money at 0%, to make money, they somewhere between 3 and 5%. They're able to tinker with their, their, their policies and, and take more risk. I would agree that the sooner the Fed withdraws their artificial monetary injections and let interest rates rise to their natural level set by free markets, probably the better. So we could really see what our economy looks like. Now, again, what if the Fed does raise interest rates or you know, the European Union stops buying debt or China stops printing money and things get hairy, things go bad? There's going to be a lot of people out there who are, are freaked out. I'm not sure if you're with me or against me on this one, but we'll see. The decades leading up to the Fed's creation were punctuated by repeated financial crises. Crises. There was a ferocious panic of 1907. The shortage of cash was so great, the nation seemed to be reverting towards bartering. So... At times, we could see a total need for them. Disruptions in the early 1900s were severe and frequent. They obviously, a disruption in the financial system played, you know, panic with liquidity. Some episodes of insolvency. So without that centralized bank mechanism to adjust the supply of currency or to lend to solvent banks experiencing liquidity pressures, the demand for money to pay workers and to finance the purchase of agricultural goods drove interest rates up and reduced the availability of credit in the early 1900s. That stifled growth precisely when it should have been accommodated. So you want the bank there when the central bank, when your local bank, let's say you're using Bank of America or Farmers Bank, when they're out of cash, who do they turn to? And it could happen. It doesn't seem like in this day and age it would happen, but it could happen. So if you take a look at the major European economies and you take a look at the American financial instability, um, you know, Europe's had, that hasn't had a central banking arrangement that could mobilize reserves across their entire system. And, you know, they had the Italian currency, they had the German currency, they had, and they, you know, just recently historically speaking, went to a common euro currency. Bernanke gave a blow-by-blow account of his role in handling the 2008 financial crisis that had a you know, potential to inflict more damage on the economy. Um, in his book, Bernanke and the Fed were the grown-ups in the room during a period of just craziness that was unprecedented since the Great Depression. Regardless of whether you believe they conducted themselves brilliantly or poorly, you were seeing Bear Stearns, you were seeing Lehman, you were seeing uh, companies collapse because of their financial covenants that got put at risk because of incredibly bad, bad loans that got packaged together and sold off as better credit risk than they were. So do economists have a play? Do they have a role? Should the Federal Reserve be more low-key, uh, low charisma? Uh, because right now it feels like they're, they get some sexy spotlight action, if you know what I'm saying. And they seem to like it. Janet Yellen and a lot of earnest economists who crunch data and seek to use monetary policy to stabilize both the economy and the financial markets, do they have a role? Because, again, I, I promise you, uh, Janet Yellen hasn't really worked in the real world. She's worked in the theoretical economy. Um, so we don't have a lot of economists who are trained in the real world. So are we going to see crazy amounts of inflation? Or are we in this period, which I feel we're in, of low monetary policy for the foreseeable future worldwide? super low interest rates there's not a lot of inflation why is the unemployment rate at a low 5.1 percent why doesn't that create inflation 
for me, it's hard not to conclude that the Fed's doing at least a reasonable job. But the question is, should it be free markets or should we be financially engineering an okay economy? That's our argument of the day. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Listening to Rob Black and Your Money on AM 1220 KDOW. I'm Rob Black talking money, investing, and more. Thanks for listening to the show. There's a lot of small things that you can do to get a lot out of it. You should run what's called a retirement planning calculation, estimate how much you need to save. Before you're 45, ish. You know, the numbers can come back to seem daunting if you don't. A recommended goal of upwards of $4 million is not uncommon in this day and age, depending on your lifestyle. When you're a few decades and many, many dollars away from $4 million, it seems like, holy mackerel, that's a lot of money. But the earlier you start, the better. Compounded interest a lot of people think that Einstein said the miracle of modern day is compounded interest, and it's not. He never said that. Uh, but compounding interest lets you put away less money and build a solid nest egg over time. It's the first step. Start saving today with whatever you have. $100 in 7.2 years will be $200. In 14.4 years, it'll be $400. It'll add up. It'll add up. If you start with $100 and you invest that each month, just $100 each month for 12 months, $1,200 a year, for 30 years, you end up with over $100,000. But a lot of people don't like that. <laughs> they don't like thinking that far out. Uh, but you should. You want to make gradual increases from $100 to 125 from 125 to 150 a month. If you can save 15% of your income, you're golden. Um, and then, try, you know, if you start with five, that's fine. Kick it up to six next year. Kick it up to seven the year after. Slowly and steadily increasing the amount you put away. It's unlikely to hurt your budget, especially if you get wage inflation along the way. If you're 30 years old with a $50,000 a year salary, raising your retirement contributions just one percentage point a year is a difference of $600,000 at retirement, assuming a 7% rate of return. It's big. If you get a windfall and you bank it, you own a company and you know you get a profit distribution, instead of going out and buying a car, bank it. Put it in an investment, don't touch it. End of the year bonus, if you put away 50% of it, great. A big tax refund, put away 60% of it, wonderful. Smartest move to do is to take those big chunks of change and, and put them aside. An extra $2,500 each year from a salary increase, bonus, windfall, IRS refund, just $2,500 a year. It adds up to about $370,000 over 35 years. Squirreling away. Um, I've got two credit cards. Uh, one of them is Barclays Arrival Plus, which gives me 2% on all travel plus... Uh, it allows me to, let's say I use 10,000 points. Um, let's say I book 1,000, oh, let's say it's 88,000, 88, 100,000 points, it's $1,000, right? I could automatically sit, get 10% of that back, so which is pretty good. Um, 
so I squirrel away those. You know, my gym membership many, many years ago was set up to auto debit from my banking account. And I put a stop to that and put an auto debit on them. I, I, they can't auto do it, so I have to go to the front desk every month. Say, hey, I'd like to pay my bill. And they're like, okay. Um, and I kind of go to like a country club, tennis club kind of thing. So it ain't cheap. And uh, just that ability to save 2% comes right back to me, either in my 2% cash rewards or whether it's 2% in my my travel. So, And I save it. Uh, I have it automatically set up to go to my 2% cash goes automatically to an investment account. So it's all too easy to spend that money, and I know it. So getting rid of a premium cable channel, that immediately boosts your retirement contributions by 18 bucks a month. Get a discount on your car insurance. Your mortgage payment drops because of an escrow balance. You finance your student loans, whatever. Just $18 a month from a cable bill could add up to over $30,000 over 35 years. Um, $30,000 isn't much. But it's something in retirement, right? If you could lower your investment expenses, I think that's always a good idea while you're accumulating wealth. Investment expenses and administrative costs. A lot of employers often pass that on to you. So go with low-cost index funds. They tend to be less expensive than pricier target date funds or more expensive mutual funds. Stay away from annuities. These little things, you know, the difference of a fee between 1.4% and 0.6%. It could, you know, be a $200,000 change on your return of investments of $100,000. I've always believed that investing and retirement is all about perspective. It's a mental game. It's behavioral finance. Our brains aren't wired to save for something that far away. So I like to picture my prosperity in retirement. And I don't want to picture poverty. So I put the picture of poverty in my brain, and that's me sitting in a trailer park watching uh, Dr. Phil, Dr. Phil, eating catfish or tuna fish, cat food. I don't want that. I don't want the wall air conditioner that's on the fritz that I have to hit three times to get going. I don't want to die in a trailer. I don't want to live in a trailer park. I don't want family members to refer to me as trailer park trash. So on the other end of it, I'm like, I want to be the coolest grandfather ever. I want to have, you know, $10 bills in both hands and full-size candy bars. Those fun-size candy bars at Halloween, screw that. Those aren't fun. Full-size candy bars are the way to go. Um, I want the grandkids to, like, love me and, like, adore me and, like, be that safe place where they don't have to deal with their mom and dad. I want, you know, to travel to Europe friend of mine, his uh, dad takes his grandchildren to London every year. He takes one child. He rotates the three of them or the four of them um, to Europe every year. So for the summer, he takes you know, one of them for a month, and next year he gets another one of them for a month, and next year he gets another one of them for a month. And uh, I think that's kind of cool. So a friend of mine, her grandparents paid for her college. And the only reason she went to college was she knew that her grandparents were going to be paying for college. She would not have gone to college if she, if her parents had to pay for it. She would not have been expected to go to college if her parents had to pay for it. So being that wealthy grandparent changed her life. Having that person expecting something of you, I think, is, is the right grandparent and the right place you want to be. So you're going to have to save a lot of money if you're going to pay for your kids' grand, uh, grandkids' college. But they'll remember you forever, and it's a nice legacy to have. You can find me online at robblack.com. That's robblack.com. Visit Rob Black online at robblack.com. Now, back to Rob Black and your money 
on AM 1220 KDOW. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial money, investing, and more. I got an email from Adam. He says, my wife and I are fully funding our 401ks and our Roth IRAs. We have several different rental properties and are using additional funds to pay down the mortgage rather than invest additional money in the stock market. What do you think of this strategy? Um, Typically, it's a horrible strategy. I know part of the American dream is to pay down your mortgage. I get it. To own the home, but ultimately you don't want to do that. It depends. You know, there's a lot of information that's missing from your question, including uh, how old you are, how much you've got saved, so what your time frame is, what investments you have, your comfort level if you were to tell me that your mom and dad you know lost their home that it was taken away from them I, I might say yeah you want to pay down some of that mortgage I get it I like mortgages and paying down a mortgage to me is a mistake because any money that you pay off on a mortgage um, it just sits there and does nothing now later in life maybe you could use some of that equity that you've paid off or built up and leverage that money into other properties. But anything that you pay off loses you know, 2% to inflation every year in buying power. Your home will go up or down in value with or without it. Um, a mortgage is cheap money. It's got very tax favorable. Um, the interest is tax deductible. Um, so compared to capital gains and other scenarios, mortgages allow you to sell without selling later in life when you refinance. Um, and maybe take some money out and buy another property down the road or a vacation home or something along those lines. Let's pull in Chris Siaccia from thestreet.com. How are you, Chris? Good, Rob. How are you doing? Go ahead. Good. So we've got lots to talk about today. It's uh, it's that time of the year where it's earnings season. So, um, And it's also some pretty big headlines have been cracking recently, including uh, Tesla getting kind of a, a dirty knock. What's your thoughts on the Tesla story that's been out? I thought it was interesting that Consumer Reports, uh, you know, I think it was a, a little bit of a double-edged sword, and they kind of hedged their bets on, you know, the report. They, they talked to, you know, about 1,400 people. They had a lot of complaints, um, but some of the complaints were with the older models. Some of the complaints were with the newer models. But they still said that the, of the people that they spoke to, 97% of those people said that their next car would be a Tesla. So obviously, you know, there are always problems with cars, and no company is perfect, and Tesla's worked pretty hard to get these things right. But I thought it was interesting that, okay, you know, the stock got hit on the news, um, but then they also said that 97% of people that they interviewed would buy a Tesla again. So I, w- I thought it was a little bit of an overreaction in the market, and I thought that Elon came out yesterday and made some pretty valid point saying that, you know, they've addressed most of the issues, if not all of the issues, and that a lot of the issues run older cars, and they didn't, they're not seeing them on the, on the newer versions of the Model S. So I think it was, you know, the market kind of shooting first and asking questions later. And I think, you know, shareholders got hit a little bit when they probably shouldn't have been hit that much. One of the things I saw with the recent Tesla Model S concerns with Consumer Reports is that they've got very few suppliers, and being a luxury high-end kind of vehicle, yeah, you get one bad shipment, and you're going to get some reliability issues, and maybe it's a sunroof seal, and that seal is a little bit drier than it's expected to be, and it, it cracks. And uh, What do you think about their position as luxury and kind of counting on the suppliers to live up to their end of the relationship? I think it speaks to the fact that they really need their own version of Tim Cook. I've been to, you know, quite a few Tesla events over the years, and you can see it not just with the way that they produce the cars, but with the way they run their events. It's still kind of a startup mentality. Sometimes things are in flux. Things aren't always, you know, running on schedule, whereas, you know, I hate to compare them to Apple, but, you know, I mentioned Tim Cook before. But they work. They run like clockwork. Everything is down to a T. They know where things are going, and they Tesla really needs someone that has 
operational experience uh, in the automotive industry that can source suppliers from multiple pe- multiple companies. This way, if something happens bad with one company, they can just flip gears, you know, pretty easily uh, and, and go to another supplier. I understand building cars is a lot harder than building a phone or a tablet, but they need to do a better job than what they've done. And I think they're starting to work towards getting there, but it's a it's a progress and it's not going to be overnight. But given the fact that this Consumer Reports had caught a lot of attention in the mainstream media as well as investors. Maybe it lights a fire under Elon Musk and the rest of his team. Anything else that we want to hit on Tesla as far as uh, uh, some of the news of the day recently? I think it was interesting that um, the fact that Consumer Reports had this, you know, this big report that we've talked about and now some analysts are saying, you know, okay, well, it's not really going to affect sales. Tesla's come out and said, you know, that they haven't seen anything in terms of uh, sales being affected. And you're seeing a lot of analysts come out and defend the company. I think it sets it up for a little bit of a disappointment just in terms of the stock reaction when they report earnings next month because, you know, we all know that markets are about expectations. And if expectations are super high and people are coming out and defending them left and right, it sets up investors up for a little bit of a disappointment. So, you know, I'll be curious to see how they handle that, you know, over the next couple of weeks, especially as earnings come around. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to watch because uh, a little bit of the shine has come off Tesla recently. Um, Yahoo! Executives are leaving the company. Marissa Mayer's going on Twitter saying <clears throat> good riddance. Not really good riddance, but she's saying, you know, we need people here who can grow. But these are people that she hired. Yahoo seems to be a mess right now. Uh, what's your take on what you're seeing? Everything that I hear and, and the sources that I talk to and what I'm seeing and, you know, and talking to just people at the company and outside the company and observers is that you're right. It's just an utter and complete disaster. Marissa's had over three years uh, to clean up the system, and basically we're still at square one when it comes to the, to the core business. Shareholders got a benefit because Jerry Yang had the foresight to take a stake in Alibaba, and that became one of the most valuable companies in the world. Um, but that's all well and good, but that doesn't affect the core business. People are leaving in droves left and right. And then you're right, they, she kind of called out the executives that left you know, over the past few months. And I thought that was really odd because she hired them. So did you not think that they were working out? And if they weren't working out, why did they leave on their own accord? Why weren't they let go of originally by you? Um, so it's just like a, it's a, this whole weird situation, and it's 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 like a train wreck. You can't help but watch it, but it's 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 sad to see. It is, and it seems like it's going to end badly for her. And what what stinks about that is, I think she's a very accomplished CEO, and I think she's done some great stuff. But she's doing it for a company that quite honestly, just may not be relevant anymore and uh, may not be able to be revived. Uh, we've given her a lot of time, and the NFL has a game that's going to be streaming this weekend that they've just cut advertising prices from 200000 down to 100000 I, I can't find a reason to like the stock other than, you know, maybe Alibaba comes roaring back. Yeah, I mean, from a stock standpoint, everybody's saying, okay, well, the tax issue with the spinoff, um, of the rest of the Alibaba stake is, you know, an option. No one knows what's going to happen with the IRS and with the stake. So I mean, I'm not an accountant, so your guess is as good as mine on what happens with who pays taxes and how much. But right now the, va- the core business is valued at literally nothing by the, by the markets. Um, so maybe there is some hope down the line, but we've been doing this for not just Marissa but Carol Bartz. Scott Thompson, it's gone on for years and years, and I think investors are just throwing in the towel and saying, okay, I'd rather just put my money elsewhere because there really is nothing uh, down the line in the the near-term future, um, and there's no light at the end of the tunnel that anybody can see. Yesterday, while I was getting lunch, my Apple phone told me, hey, we've got a new software update. What do we need to know about iOS 9.1? It depends upon where you stand because... Everyone was excited about all these new emojis that are coming out. There is an update to Apple News app. But when we wrote the story here at the street, I got flooded with tons and tons of comments 
that people were upset about what happened with the update. Uh, the update wasn't going well. Some of the phones were turned to bricks, and there was problems. So I'd be very careful about installing this update, which was supposed to make things more stable um, than they had been. So it's been it's been a little bit of an issue and a, a little bit of a rocky going, you know, in the early days for the new version of iOS 9 um, for Apple. Ultimately, I expect that to be, you know, smoothed out. But, you know, if I'm a regular person and I rely on my phone, you know, pretty much every day, I've been pretty cautious about installing this update. I installed the update myself, and I haven't had any problems yet. But given the fact that my inbox has been flooded with people complaining and, and uh, you know, talking about how bad it is, you know, I, I would be a little bit cautious here. Chris Siaccia, tech editor with TheStreet.com. Always good, always insightful. This time next week, we'll probably be talking about Apple's quarter and how it went. Apple reports on Tuesday of next week. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial. You can find Chris at TheStreet.com. You can find me at RobBlack.com. That's RobBlack.com. Black online at robblack.com. Now, back to Rob Black and your money on AM 1220 KDOW. I'm Rob Black talking money, investments, and more. One of the things that I see people wasting lots and lots of money on, and it's a lot, um, vitamins. Most vitamins are totally useless. And if you should eat your vegetables. You should get some exercise. Decades of research has failed to find any substantial evidence that vitamins and supplements do any significant good. In fact... Recent studies skew in the opposite direction, having found that certain vitamins may actually be bad for you. Uh, several supplements have been linked with an increase in certain cancers. They've been associated with a risk of a higher rise risk probability of kidney stones. Some have been linked to overall higher risk of death. Multivitamins, you should skip them. For decades, it was assumed multivitamins were critical to overall health. Vitamins to boost your immune system. Vitamin A to protect your vision. Vitamin B to keep you energized. A big study in 2012 of 39,000 women over 25 years old. Over 25 years, I'm sorry. It was a study that lasted 25 years. found that women who took them in the long term actually had a higher overall risk of death than those who did not. Vitamin D tablets, they are worth it. Vitamin D isn't present in most of the foods we eat, but it's a critical ingredient that keeps our bones strong. It helps us absorb calcium. Getting sunlight helps our bodies produce it as well, but it can be tough to get enough in the winter. Several recent studies have found that people who took vitamin D supplements daily lived longer on average than those who didn't. Antioxidant vitamins, skip them. Um, an excess of these have been linked to an increased risk of certain cancers, and you can eat berries instead. Now, berries are really expensive, but it's something I'm, I'm willing to pay for. Vitamin A, C, and E are all antioxidants found in plentiful form in fruits, especially berries and vegetables. They've been touted for their alleged ability to protect against cancer. Antioxidants can actually be harmful if you take them in pill form. A large study of male smokers found that those who regularly took vitamin A were more likely to get lung cancer than those who didn't. 
the 2007 review of trials of diff several different types of antioxidant supplements put it this way. Quote, treatment with beta-carotene vitamin A and vitamin E may increase mortality. Vitamin C, skip it. Just eat a citrus fruit instead. Linus Pauling made a statement in 1970s. Uh, the vitamin C hype. Study after study has shown that vitamin C does little to nothing to prevent the common cold. Plus, megadoses of 2,000 or more can raise your risk for painful kidney stones. Not only am I helping you healthier, but I'm saving you, I'm saving the nation billions of dollars. Vitamin B3, skip it and eat salmon, tuna, or beets. What if you don't like salmon, tuna, or beets? Grow up. Salmon's delicious. Vitamin B3 was promoted to treat everything from Alzheimer's to heart disease. Recent studies have called for an end of the over-the-prescription of the nutrient. A large 2014 study of more than 25,000 people with heart disease found that putting people on long-acting doses of vitamin B3 to raise their good levels of HDL cholesterol didn't reduce the incidence of heart attack, strokes, or deaths. Plus, a lot of the people in the study who took the B3 supplements were more likely to, than those taking the placebo to develop infections, liver problems, and internal bleeding. Zinc, take it. It's one of the only ingredients linked with shortening a cold. Unlike vitamin C, zinc seems to work. The mineral seems to interfere with the replication of the rhinoviruses, the bugs that cause the common cold. Yay! Probiotics, skip them. Science isn't advanced enough yet for them to have a significant benefit. And you can eat yogurt instead. Probiotics are pricey bacterial supplements. They can cost upwards of a dollar per pill, but are found naturally in smaller amounts in yogurt and fermented foods. It's become a big business, $23.1 billion in 2012. Support the trillions of bacteria blossoming in our gut, which we pay, will play a crucial role in regulating our health. But do it with yogurt. So rather than shelling out for a pill that promises to be a cure-all, snack on a parfait. Folic acid? Take it if you're pregnant or if you want to get pregnant. It's a B vitamin which our bodies use to make new cells. Women who are currently pregnant or who want to get pregnant take 400 milligrams of folic acid daily because their bodies demand more of this key nutrient when they are carrying a baby in their belly. It's uh, been seen, several studies, have linked folic acid supplementation before and during pregnancy with decreased rates of neural tube defects serious and life-threatening birth defects of the baby's brain, spine, or spinal cord. Now again, I know you grew up and you saw your mom and dad pop pills, taking their daily vitamins. Break that chain. Please. 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Anything you want to talk about, we can talk about. Hotel loyalty rewards. I talk about credit card rewards on a regular basis and how much I use them and I love them. Hotel chains aren't much better than airlines when it comes to rewarding loyal customers. Marriott is better than most, and other chains offer good deals if you know how to play the game. So that's the trick. There's a higher loyalty program payback on average from a stay at Marriott than from, say, a stay at Starwood property, like a Sheraton. A lot of travelers who have never bothered to play into hotel loyalty programs should take note. Marriott Rewards return an average of 9.4% from every dollar spent on hotel rooms when redeemed for rewards days later. If you have a hotel card, a rewards card, you're more likely to get a big room. You're more likely to get a free upgrade. You're more likely to get a late checkout. So if you're a business traveler, this is golden. So if you spend $100 at a Marriott, on average you get back about $9.40 in free rooms. So that's not too bad. Um, Sheraton, Weston, and other brands pay back about 6.1% on average. Um, Marriott's hotels performed best in taking a look. Marriott says its reward program has become more important than, say, an enticement away from the non-traditional Airbnb. So... It's been tough to compare hotel rewards. It's one of the reasons why I don't do it on a regular basis. 
airline programs range from 5.5 to 8.6% payback when you apply the same calculations to the hotel. Using miles for business class, first class can you know yield greater value. If you do have an airline card, never use it on a trip to L.A. If you're just going on a one-hour flight, never use your rewards on that. Use rewards on like a good six, seven, eight-hour flight across the country or into foreign lands. Um, so do do take advantage of these rewards. So uh, I highly recommend, highly highly recommend. Um, playing into the system as long as you don't get caught like overextending yourself 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air it's 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air anything you want to talk about we can talk about money investing and more um earning season it comes every 90 days and if you own a stock i beg you get on an earnings call and read the annual report and go to sec.gov and read the quarterly reports and read what are called S filings just for poops and giggles. Um, take a look. It's, um, I think sometimes what you don't know, at least now you'll go, well, I didn't know that. Lego is the world's largest toy company. They overtook Mattel and Hasbro. They did pretty well with um, coming up with little designer sets, whether it's for a Star Wars movie or an Avenger movie. They come up with these little sets. And if you ever go into a Lego store, there's a Lego store close to where I live. It's offensive how expensive these things are. Uh, I don't have the price on the top of my head, but like a Millennium Falcon, I think it's somewhere between two hundred and five hundred dollars for a set, and it's you know. It's probably a good, you know, 16 to 18 inches, um, and I just don't get it. People spending that kind of money? Holy mackerel. Holy mackerel. 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Anything you want to talk about, we can talk about. Um, so I did a little wealth advising or a little health advising. I usually do more wealth advising, um, but you see where I'm going at sometimes. I think it's pretty easy to find an extra $200 a month without changing crazy things in your life. Um, you know, anytime you set up like a, a cable deal where they give you a package, that's going to expire. So you have to remind yourself to take a look and renegotiate that when it expires. Um, every year, I take a look at my uh, insurance and I call it and I shop it around. In the end, my homeowner insurance, I'm not loyal to Geico or USAA. I'll shop around and see what, what deals I can get. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Find me online at robblack.com. That's robblack.com. Listening to Rob Black and Your Money on AM 1220 KDOW on the Radio Act. I'm Rob Black talking money, investing, and more. So I recently did get an email. Let's see if I can't read it actually for reals. You can email me rob at robblackshow.com. It's rob at robblackshow.com. And we could start from there. This came from Adam. It said, my wife and I are fully funding our 401k and our Roth IRAs. We have several different rental properties and are using additional funds to pay down the mortgage uh, rather than invest the additional money in the stock market. What do you think of the strategy? First and foremost, it sounds like you're doing great. Second, this is going to be a kind of a choppy answer because I don't know you. I don't know how old your wife and you are. I don't know your income. I don't know the stability. Um, I don't know your emergency fund. There's a lot of little things that, you know, maybe you're 
dad owned a house and it got foreclosed on and that scarred you forever. It's impossible to say. Um, with that out there, I think we should be, you know, uh, very cognizant of the fact that um, this answer is very, you know, this is for me and not necessarily for you because I know my scenario better than you know I know your scenario. Your mortgage doesn't affect your home's values. And if these are rental properties, obviously you want them cash flowing. And obviously you want a little bit more of a, a, a cushion in case we go into a rental slump or we get in a scenario where uh, you're not able to raise rents or you get into a scenario where you have a bad tenant for a while. So there's a little bit of, you know, yeah, you could pay down or you can build up more reserves. So your mortgage doesn't really affect your home's value. You're buying your home because you think it's going to rise in value over time. If you didn't think it was going to rise in value over time, you probably wouldn't buy it, right? Um, so you got that going on, and then you get the cash flow issues. And I don't know where these rentals are. If they're in Stockton, that's a different story than if they're in Palo Alto. Uh, I think the house, I think the job market in Palo Alto is going to be reasonably strong for the foreseeable future. Um, so a mortgage is a low-cost product, low cost of money. It's incredibly low cost. You've probably refinanced a lot of these properties. And it begs the question of, do you save 3% in interest or do you go for the 6 to 10% return on Wall Street? That compounds over time, becoming a much better thing to do. 30 years ago, if you had bought a home, put $10,000 down, if you put $10,000 in the stock market, um, every time you put, did a mortgage payment, you put the same amount into an investment portfolio, you'd have over four times as much money as the value of that home. Four times as much. Four times as much. And that's in cities like New York, San Francisco, Chicago, Boston, L.A. So... Um, so that is out there. Answering the question of should you pay off a rental or not, um, it depends. Again, you probably will make your profile a little less risky if you pay it off, but you'll probably have a little less money down the road, and why pay off a low-cost product? Um, if it was an 8% mortgage, absolutely pay it off. Absolutely. So a mortgage doesn't stop you from building equity. So... I think that's worthy of note. So you do build a little bit of equity over time from paying down the mortgage, but not like you do if it goes up in value. A mortgage is incredibly cheap money. You get a loan when you demonstrate your ability to be able to repay it, and you know mortgage interest rate versus investment return. Mortgage interest rate, if it's 4%, but... Tax savings, if you're in the 33% tax bracket, maybe 1.6%. You know, suddenly your net cost is around two and a, two and a quarter, um, which is pretty crazy. So mortgage payments get easier over time. I think this is something that no one ever talks about, but we should talk more about it. When you were, when your mom and dad bought your house, they were struggling. And then they celebrate their 10-year anniversary and, a baby, and they're still struggling because babies are, aren't cheap. And then 20 years, and that baby's going off to college, and cost you know, they've got raises each year for the last 20 years. They work, one works for the state, one works, you know, for a big company. Ten more years go down the road, and the, the mortgage is just easy at that point because you've had all the wage inflation, and you've had a scenario with uh, low inflation in the United States, but you also had a scenario where the home went up in value, and the kids are out out of the nest so mortgage payments get easier over time and that'll be the true with the rental too if the rental market keeps going higher um, which is kind of expected depending on what area you live in the thing that i like about mortgages and you're doing the opposite is mortgages let you sell the house without selling the house and what that means is you're able to pull equity from the home and do a refi and use that equity to go buy another rental property or you know, to do a dream house add-on or something along those lines. Um, so I, on a regular basis, pull equity out of the home and use it to go do something else financially with. Uh, 
Um, so if my home goes up $400,000 in value, I go ahead and book $200,000 of the gain and to pull it out. Uh, my mortgage is still there, but I've pulled money out. Um, it allows me to sell without selling. So I think that's pretty important, all things considered. Mortgages give you greater liquidity and flexibility. So if you pay it off, you're not going to have that liquidity and you're not going to have that ability. And if you're living in earthquake country, it, it becomes a little bit more of a liability because you know that if an earthquake knocks down your home, you're not going to get dollar for dollar on it. Uh, federal government will make you write maybe 60 cents on the dollar. So with that said, totally up to you. Uh, I'm not trying to talk you and your wife into or out of any decision because this is a personal decision, but I gave you my reasons. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Just talk soon. Light in your way, there's nothing to fear. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.